0: Please be seated. My name is Megan Troquair, and I am very glad to be worshiping with you this morning. I don't know about your house, but last night we had the chance to hear rain on the roof, There was wind, there was lightning, and it just poured. At least south of Tucson, it poured all night, which of course is what we need in the desert. And it makes our gospel today about a storm particularly fitting. Our gospel starts with Jesus sending. But in fact, the storyline starts long before that. And I want to share the preamble with you. Because you see, it starts with Herod. Herod had been responding to John the Baptist, who had been telling Herod, what for? Herod was tired of it, and Herod's wife was even more tired of it, until finally at that dreadful birthday party, she said, bring me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And he did. After that loss... Jesus left to go out to a hilltop in sorrow and for prayer and reflection, and that's what he did. But the people seeing him head out of town got there ahead of him. And what happened there is known to us in another gospel story. He saw them. He had compassion. He taught them. He healed them all day until finally it was evening, and they were hungry. You remember what happened next. With five loaves and two fishes, Jesus fed the multitudes. And finally, after that, he sent them on their way. And he sent the disciples on their way as well, intending to catch up with them later. And that is where this Sunday's gospel begins. Now, the disciples are skilled seafaring guys. They're out on the water all the time. Maybe they could tell a bad wind was brewing, but they got into the boat and took off, and the wind beat at them all night until finally, in the third watch, in other words, just before dawn, Jesus came to them, and they were terrified. Now let me tell you why they might have been afraid, aside from the unusualness of that. You see, the ocean to um, in Hebrew scriptures, is not just water, even stormy water. the ocean represents chaos, chaos that undoes us, a driving, destabilizing chaos. That's what the waters of the sea represent. And so there's only one person who is able to control the waters of the sea, and that is Yahweh. Who is it that calms the seas? Yahweh. Who is it that walks on the waves? It is Yahweh. In the Psalms, we hear it. In the book of Job, we hear it. There is only one person who has control over chaos, over the waters of the sea. Only one person. The disciples knew that, and that is God Almighty himself. Who in the world is coming across the water to them? Can you see how terrifying that moment would be? Either it is a ghost, because only a spirit could be coming towards them, or, thrillingly and terrifyingly, it could be their friend Jesus, who, by the way, must be God Almighty. You can imagine their response. No wonder they were in awe. But what I love particularly is the response that Peter had. Peter great-hearted, ardent Peter, of course, speaks for all of us every time. And he looks out and says, if, if you are who you say you are, invite me to come to you. I can only imagine that saying, yeah, Peter, come on, get out of the boat, would have been a natural thing for Jesus to have said. And I further imagine that Jesus had a big grin on his face of course it is Peter who says bid me come across the water to you and Jesus said come and Peter got out of the boat and began to make his way across the storm across the chaos until he finally realized what he was doing and began to sink but in that instant Jesus responded he reached out his hand, he stretched out his hand, he moved from where he was to where Peter was and grabbed his arm. I can almost hear the sound of the palm of Jesus' hand striking the skin of Peter's arm with a strong grasp, catching him before he sank. And right at that moment, I believe we have the gem of this gospel. You see, we have a demonstration of God all-powerful who walks on the waves, who made the waves and the physics that rule them and who in the next moment is also God all-compassionate, all-loving who sees our distress and before we can do more than get our ankles wet reaches his hand and powerfully draws us up. We have two almost impossible things placed together in this gospel. God all-powerful, God all-compassionate. It's hard for us to keep those two together. We think we got them together in our heads, but in practice it doesn't work like that. When we think about all-power, divine otherness, transcendence, this is a scale too big to really, really pay attention to our everyday needs are small storms. And then we have our other image of Jesus. Jesus as that nice guy, sort of a wry and funny teacher, great rabbi, friend of the disciples. How in the world do those two go together? But in our gospel, we know they are one and the same, the expression of God. They're opposites, Can you guys in the back see what this is? Morton salt. It pours even when it's damp outside. It's table salt. Now, one of the things I discovered is that table salt is actually made out of two diverse elements that will kill you on their own. They will. So, if you start out with a sodium part of sodium chloride, that's what table salt is. Sodium is so unstable that if you put a drop of water on it, it will explode in your face. Chloride is poison. It'll kill you too. Together, those two opposing forces make table salt. The salt that Roman soldiers were paid with the salt that took long trips across desert, the very salt that Jesus said we are to be, we are to be the salt of the earth. Two things come together. It is this combination of all power and all compassion that is the fuel that drives us as believers and as Christians. And we depend upon it. One of the examples that I would share of what that looks like is what happens when, um, when disciples are, are emboldened to step out into a difficult situation with love or with care. Because, of course, we've all got those difficult situations. There are many personal storms brewing right here. I do not know your personal weather patterns, but I guarantee there are a couple of doozies out there among us right now. We feel battered by the wind. It is absolutely against us. We are worried about a diagnosis. Can't get the doctors to treat us. We don't know what's happening with our job. We really want to not be a consultant anymore. We'd like a full-time position with benefits. We worry about our relationships with our families. We know those storms. They are ours personally. And we know that God is strong to save and to respond to us. That word of hope or friendship that comes maybe from someone else in this room, that sense of the presence of God in our worship or our quiet time. But sometimes our storms are not just personal. Big storm just rolled up in Charlottesville. You probably read about that. Where there were white nationalists who were protesting. Of course, it centered around a a Confederate monument. I think that was probably the excuse for that gathering. They did not want it taken down. And all the usual sad ruckus took place counter protesters, dreadful words shouted out, fist fights, I'm pretty sure a bad scene but it got worse and that a counter counter protester i don't actually know who that young man was decided that in fact the correct response to the counter protesters was to mow them down with his car there are photographs on my phone that chill me this morning it's an appalling act There are big storms in our life. There is true chaos that is unleashed, and we definitely need a Savior who is all-powerful and all-compassionate. And in fact, I think that fuel of the very nature of Jesus has already started to come forward. Because you see, as soon as that dreadful act took place, there were those who rushed in into what was clearly a dangerous place, overtly dangerous, to help those who had been injured or who had been hurt to see how they could be assisted. There are those who are willing to stand in peaceful solidarity through those protests. And in a, and this is my snarky sense of humor, um, Uh, Interesting act, Uh, one of the mayors in Kentucky decided that given this event, in fact, he's going to speed up the removal of those Confederate monuments. About the opposite of what those first protesters were looking for. It is that fuel of power and compassion that allows us to enter with courage, a scary place, and to minister. Let me share another story about what that looks like. This is a story that a a seminary professor tells on himself, and I'm going to read bits of it in his own words. He says, a few years ago, I spent a hot August day at the Los Angeles County Jail, waiting for the wheels of the system to open the jail doors for someone that he was bailing out. He watched pimps in white suits bailing out prostitutes, lawyers in black suits bailing out their clients, drug dealers bailing out peddlers, girls bailing out boyfriends, and um, alcoholics who had disturbed the peace the night before, slinking out on their own. He took in the whole long parade and began to feel that everybody was a full-time, obsessive, compulsive, addictive loafer, began to feel very cynical. He noticed by mid-afternoon someone else who was coming and going in this prison. It was an African-American man who was wearing clergy clothes. Still with time to kill, he asked whether he could go buy him something cold to drink at the Denny's, and the man said yes. What well, turns out the guy in the cloth was not a clergy person at all. He was an insurance salesman. He wore the cloth because he was there doing prison chaplaincy and it was to indicate to others what he was about. Well, this seminary professor shared some of his discouragement with this guy. He said, don't you, don't you ever get discouraged? All the same people coming and going repeating the same bad patterns. And that insurance salesman who was ministering so well told him, every person locked up in jail has got somebody with a key to let them out. But I meet people in my business every day who are locked up in a cell inside their own hearts and nobody on earth has the key to let them out. I don't see an enormous difference between the two. Okay, our professor says, but still, aren't most of the folks you meet sort of, I don't know, hardcore losers? He was really feeling bad. And the man responded, well, maybe they are, but that's just not the way I divide people. The only two categories of people I care about are the forgiven people and the unforgiven people. The professor went home, he met his wife, and he told her, I met Jesus today. He told me I was a Pharisee, but I opened my eyes to see the face of God. The man who was going in and out of that jail had that combination of opposites, that power from God who is all-loving, and it makes all the difference in the world. You know something else about this stuff? We are filled with it. If there are medical people in here, you may know that. It turns out that every cell in our body has got to have that sodium chloride in us. If the sodium chloride is not in those cells, they don't live, they don't reproduce, they don't do any of the stuff we need. It is the very fuel of what helps us to live and survive, just as the life of Jesus, all-powerful and all-loving, is the very fuel that helps us live and survive as disciples. Remember what the disciples said when they saw Jesus coming across the water? Remember how they heard him say, Take heart, it is I? He was using the same words that God used when speaking to Moses out of the burning bush I am. And so for us sitting here, we hear those words echo through time, and we hear Jesus telling the disciples and telling us, Take heart, it is I, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true gate. I am the vine. I am the resurrection. I am life. And our response, fueled by that power and love, is exactly what the disciples did. We will fall on our knees, and we will proclaim and worship truly This is the Son of God. Amen.